ask if you will open your Bibles to John chapter 12, to the passage that Mike read for us a few moments ago. And if you would like, you can go ahead and place your marker there in your uh, New Testament or your Bible like I have done because we are going to be looking at this text today and going to be concentrating on it. And the text, of course, will be the outline of our lesson this morning. Um, Mike did a great job reading it. I'm not going to read it again in its entirety, but we'll be reading the verses as we make different points to it. Um, I am what is known in the world today as a baby boomer. Uh, I was born during the time when uh, right after uh, that span of time, right after World War II and during the Korean War in that time period where people came back and there was a uh, growth in the economy of the United States and people started having kids because their situation was um, better and so I'm known as a baby boomer. But my generation is an interesting generation because of the uh, parents that I had and also the grandparents that my parents had. Uh, there was still some recollection of what it was like to live uh, during the 1920s, during the time of the Great Depression. And of course, those of us living in this day and age with all the prosperity that we enjoy and all the materialism that we get to enjoy, we forget about what a terrible, terrible time that was in these United States. How that there was um, no jobs, how there was very little money, how that families were torn apart because of the economic situation. Uh, there were people li literally living in cardboard boxes and that type of thing because the economy was just so awful in the United States. It was a terrible, terrible time. And my parents and my great-grandparents uh, could still recall some of the misery that took place during this time. And so as we were growing up, we were always told to be very frugal. Uh, we were always told to try to save as much money as we can. Uh, I know people that... Um, before my generation that would never even borrow any money from the bank or put money into the bank because there was a fear that the banks may fail again and they would lose everything. So uh, they would never borrow anything on credit, but instead they would always try to pay cash for things. Uh, there was never ever the idea that you should uh, be extravagant on something as far as meals, as far as vacations, or as far as houses or cars, but instead you need to try to be as frugal as possible. Only buy those things you need to buy. Don't buy something just for the sake of, of enjoying it. That's the generation that I was born into, the generation of the idea that you never be lavish on anything, never be extravagant on anything, but instead be frugal. Uh, use good common sense and spend your money wisely. Well, here in our story today, we have a situation where Mary was not frugal. We have a situation where Mary was very lavish. In fact, she was very extravagant. And what she did, she did something that was unheard of, even in society then. The fact that she did what she did in this particular story makes this story amazing. I know perhaps as you've read your Bible, you've looked at this story many times, but you sometimes I think we forget exactly what is going on here and the impact it had to make on those around them and the impact it should make on us as we read this particular story. But as we look at the text, let me give you the setting of what's taking place here. 
Uh, Mike did not read verse 1 because I didn't ask him to, but I want you to notice verse 1 says, Then Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany, where Lazarus, which, we, which had been dead, whom he raised from the dead. Now, there's a lot going on in this particular passage. I think all of us are aware of the fact that Jesus had a very special relationship with both Lazarus and with Mary and Martha. There's many stories about Mary and Martha and Lazarus in in the New Testament, and also we know that this was a place that Jesus frequented often, and they always showed him very kind hospitality. But don't miss the fact that it says at the beginning of verse uh, 1 of chapter 12, then Jesus six days before the Passover. Understand what is being said here. Literally what's being said here is this is six days before Jesus was to be put to death. The Passover that's being talked about here is the Passover of the Last Supper. This Passover that's being talked about here is the Passover in which Jesus Christ is going to become the ultimate Passover lamb when he dies once for all, for all mankind. He becomes the sacrificial lamb so that you and I can go to heaven, so that we can have forgiveness of sins. So, other than the Passover meal that he has with his disciples, here in this particular meal is probably the last time that Jesus is going to be eating with his friends. Probably the last time that he's going to get to spend any significant time with Martha and Mary and Lazarus before he goes into Jerusalem, before he is arrested, before he is mocked, before he is scourged, and before he is crucified and put to death. So we don't know if, we, if everyone in the room is aware of what's happening here, but this is a very special meal. And evidently, Mary is the only one who caught wind of exactly what was happening here on this particular occasion. But now with that setting in mind, I want you to look at verses 2 and 3. And I want you to think about the fact that Mary wanted to do something very special for Jesus Christ. Verse 2 says, There they made him a supper, and Martha served, but Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with them. Then then took Mary a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. Now, as I think about this particular text, and I think about um, what Mary was doing here, I think about the fact that Mary is doing something here that was not required. This was not something that she needed to do in order to be converted to Jesus Christ. She was already a believer. This was not something that she was required to do because Jesus said to her, whenever I come into a room, I want you to make sure that you have this fine ointment because I'm worthy of it and make sure that when I come in and sit down, instead of washing my feet with water like most people would do, I want you to take this ointment and put it on my feet and I want you to use your hair to clean my feet. Nowhere did Jesus tell her she had to do that. She wasn't obeying some kind of rule. She wasn't observing some kind of duty. She hadn't been told either in the Bible or by Jesus himself that this is something that was necessary in order for her to be saved. 
This had nothing to do with her eternal salvation that we can ascertain. She was already a believer. She was already a follower of Jesus Christ. We know from other stories in the Bible that this was someone who loved Jesus very much and had showed it many times, even wanted to sit at his feet and hear his teaching. But on this occasion, she's sitting at his feet for a different reason. She was just somebody that wanted to do something very special for Jesus Christ. And I think about that, and I think about the fact in the day and age that we are living in, I talk about my generation being very frugal, but the problem we have oftentimes, folks, is that we're very frugal with our Christianity too. Christianity, for some of us sometimes, has has become, what can I do, what's the very minimum I can do and still go to heaven? What's the least I can get by with that will be pleasing to God, that doesn't require a whole lot of me, and I can still go to heaven. That's kind of the idea that we look at Christianity now. Uh, This frugalness has carried over into the idea that I want to do as little as possible. Maybe we could put it this way. Just exactly how many services do I need to attend and still go to heaven? How many times can I miss? What is really required of me? How often do I actually have to be at church? Or when it comes to our giving, when the contribution basket is passed by by the tray, what's the minimum I can get by with? What's the least I can give the Lord on the Lord's day and still not have to worry about my eternal salvation? Or maybe it can be put this way. I know that there are things that need to be done as far as the service of the church is concerned, as far as the activities of the church, as far as the building, as far as other things that pertain to the building up and the promoting and the taking care of this congregation. What's the least amount I can be involved and still go to heaven? I'm afraid we have in our minds today a mindset that says, I just want to do enough to be a Christian and be just enough a Christian so I can go to heaven. But here in the story, we have Mary the believer who wanted to do as much as possible for Jesus Christ. And folks, we don't get the full impact of this until we start looking at verse 3 and realize the extravagance of this gift. Spike Nard, or some translations simply called it Nard, was a very precious ointment that had to come from India. It wasn't something that you found there in the region of Judea where they were at, but this is a place that this was something that had to be brought over by caravans. It was only sold in the nicest of stores. And the way it was transported was, first of all, it would come across with the caravan in a wooden box that was heavily padded because inside that wooden box was an alabaster box, which is a very fragile white gypsum box. And the ointment was contained in that box and there was no way to get that oil out of that gypsum box unless you actually broke it or crushed it. So imagine going in a story, if you will, that sold only the fine things. I'm not talking about Spencer's gifts here. I'm talking about a nice place. And you go in and you see this ornate wooden box. 
And you open up this wooden box and inside probably is this padding that's lined with fine fabric like velvet or something. And then sitting right there in the middle of that wooden box to protect that alabaster box is that white gleaming little box. Maybe it had carvings on it. Maybe it had little legs. Maybe it had sayings on it. And inside that alabaster box was this precious, precious ointment called nard or spike nard. King James Version makes mention of the fact that it was very costly. In verse 3, later on, Judas talks about how that in the King James it would be sold for 300 pence, which is literally 300 denarii. And denarii, one denarii was one day's wage. So we're talking about something that costs 300 denarii. That means 300 days wages or almost a year of working to buy this little alabaster box of ointment. Now, I don't know how Mary afforded such thing. I don't know the situation of Mary and Martha. Evidently, they had some means because they did have a house in which they lived in together and they were able to entertain Jesus, but also entertain other people. But yet, even in Mary's day, the extravagance of buying something that costs so much, something that was so precious, something that was so costly, something that was so ornate. And picture her, if you will, in your mind. She comes into the room and she carries in her hand this white alabaster box. And then almost as she sits down there at the feet of Jesus, she takes this and the custom was, was to crack it like an egg. And that oil would run out over his feet and the smell of this costly, costly perfume that only the rich could enjoy are not on someone's head or someone's body for the purpose for perfuming their body, but instead Mary is using it to wash the feet of Jesus Christ. And then she humbly takes her hair. Instead of using a towel, she washes the feet of Jesus Christ with her hair. Picture that scene in your mind. Picture the extravagance of it. Picture the lavishness of it. And the question needs to be asked, why did she do that? It's all because she loved Jesus Christ so much. It was Jesus Christ who raised her brother from the dead. And I know she was thankful for that. It was Jesus Christ who taught her the way to eternal life. And I know she was thankful for that. It was Jesus Christ who was her master, her redeemer, her savior. It was Jesus Christ who really told her what life was all about and how that there was another life. It was the same Mary that Jesus told her at the time when Lazarus was dead that he has come to make sure that everyone had eternal life. And she understood that now. And here was someone who was a believer who loved Jesus Christ so much and anything but the best was going to be the only thing that she gave to Jesus Christ. She wanted to give him the very best she could give him. And so what did she think about? She thought about the fact that I can't give him a whole lot, but one thing I can give him and perhaps she went into her room and thought, this is the most prized possession that I have. Maybe she bought it. Maybe it was given to her as a gift. 
But don't miss the impact of the passage. This was extravagant. This was above and beyond the call of duty. This was something that nobody expected anybody else to do. But Mary loved the Lord so much that she wanted to give him her best. But you look at the text now. Even though this first part of the story is a very beautiful story, this story has an ugly side to it, a very ugly side. Notice what happens next in the text. You've got Judas, uh, Mark's account and Matthew's account mentions that there were others involved with this, so this is not just Judas alone as, as in John's account. There were others who were very critical of Mary. But notice what happens next. It says, Then saith one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which should betray him, Why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the bag and bare what was put therein. As I think about that text, I think about the fact that the people that are being talked about here, not only Judas, but evidently there are others. As I said, Matthew and Mark's account, they just believe that there were others around the table where they were sitting were being very critical of Mary as they watched her do what she did. I can't get over the fact, though, that these were not enemies of Jesus. These were not enemies of Mary. These were all friends here. These were friends of Mary. The reason why they were invited to the house to enjoy this particular meal with Jesus and the rest of the family were because we're all friends. But these friends were very critical of what Mary was doing. And I thought about the fact that there is no criticism that hurts the worst than the criticism that comes from someone you care about, someone who loves you. The criticism of a friend is the one that cuts the deepest. And I can imagine as Mary is anointing Jesus' feet with this costly perfume and she is looking at the stares of the people around her and hearing the noises people are making, the sighs and the disgusting oomps or whatever, and they're making the statement, saying, why in the world did you do such a stupid thing, Mary? Why in the world did you think that this was something that needed to be done? I imagine that probably hurt her to some degree, but yet in her mind she says, I don't care how many people criticize me, this is for the Lord, and I'm going to do it no matter what. But also as I look at the text, I think about the fact that here Judas was using some high-sounding phraseology, was showing that he had some wonderful intentions, though really it hid a very selfish heart. Oftentimes people aren't what they're supposed to be in the Lord's service, and they use uh, some high, mighty phraseology or use some wonderful things to say, well, I would be more involved or I would give more, I would attend more, but you got to understand And that high and mighty explanation they feel justified in their own eyes just simply is another excuse. You see, a selfish heart is a selfish heart no matter how you try to disguise it, no matter what kind of thing you use as an excuse or a phrase. Judas missed the whole point of the situation. He looked at it, what would it cost him instead of what Mary was doing? Keep in mind that he didn't want the money just simply to give the poor. He wanted the money to put it in his bag so he could take it out of the bag because he was someone who was stealing from the church, if you will, because he was stealing from Jesus Christ. And oftentimes we 
don't realize it, but we steal from the Lord in the fact that because of our own selfish desires, we would not dare uh, go without going on some trip or having some house or have some car. We spend lavishly in this day and age because of the material prosperity that God has given us on meals, on entertainment, on recreation, and all these things. But when it comes to the Lord, when it comes to our money and our time and our service, oftentimes we are just so frugal. And in that way, we are oftentimes like Judas because we think, well, I would give this to the Lord, but you don't understand how much I need it. You don't understand how important it is to me. You don't understand how I can't live without this. But all it's doing is just showing like Judas that we have a very selfish heart and something that we just simply want for our own. But then, I guess the question as we close this lesson this morning is what is the lesson? What do we learn from this particular passage? And that is, we should give our very best to the Lord. Notice what the text says. Then Jesus said, let her alone. Against the day of my bearing hath she kept this. For the poor always ye have with you, but me ye have not always. Now notice two things in the text. Verse 7 leads us to believe that maybe Mary and Jesus Christ had some kind of conversation or maybe Mary had an understanding from the teachings of Jesus that others did not understand that she knew that the day of his death was coming. And she was already preparing his body for the burial. When a person was buried uh, back in the time of Jesus' day, they didn't have embalming like we have embalming, but instead they would wrap spices around the body with tight bandages and cloths and try to preserve the body as long as possible before it was buried. And basically, Jesus is saying the reason why she is showing this great love for me because she understands the great sacrifice that I'm about to make for her. And that right there and then shows us how that we should give our very best to Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ has given His very best for us. But then he makes a point in verse 8 that maybe almost sounds harsh, but he's making a very important point. He says, For the poor always ye have with you. And there's a number of ways that people have looked at this. He's not discounting the poor, obviously. Jesus is someone who cared for the poor, tried to help those who were poor. He even tells us to be poor in spirit in the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5. But he may be, first of all, making a play on words here. When he says, for the poor always ye have with you, he may be making a, a chide at Judas and saying, well, if you're going to make an excuse about giving your best, any excuse is as good as just saying, well, you need to take care of the poor. Or he may be saying here, and I like this particular idea, that he's saying that regardless of what circumstances are in life, that you need to understand that the most important thing in life is giving your very best to the Lord. He says, for the poor always ye have with you, but me ye have not always. In other words, he's saying to Judas and to all everybody else that is there and to us today, you you need to understand what a special opportunity it is to have Jesus Christ. 
When you think about how through the providence of God that someone came in contact with us, whether it be a co-worker, a family member, or a neighbor or whatever, and we were brought the gospel of Jesus Christ, and because of we were brought the gospel of Jesus Christ, we obeyed that gospel after hearing it. We were baptized in the watery grave of baptism to rise to walk in newness of life. We now have a home in heaven, and it's all because of the grace of God and the blood of Jesus Christ and His sacrifice. When we realize what a special, special opportunity that is, It really doesn't matter what the rest of the world is doing. It doesn't matter if there's rich or poor. It doesn't matter if we have this or that. It doesn't matter what's going on in the world. Our number one priority should be and always should be to give our very best to Jesus Christ. Here in this particular story, Mary understood that. She knew what was about to happen evidently. She knew that Jesus Christ was going to make the ultimate sacrifice for her. She wanted to show in a very extravagant way, a very costly way, she wanted to give her very best for Jesus Christ because she knew that he was well worth it. There's a song we sometimes sing that I think would be a very appropriate end to this particular lesson as an invitation song that we sometimes sing before we partake of the Lord's Supper. The end of the song just simply goes like this. And we'll let this serve as the invitation this morning. I gave, I gave my life for thee. What hast thou given for me? I gave, I gave my life for thee. What hast thou given for me? Won't you come as together we stand and sing?